you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth happy happy holidays whether you are in the swing of hanukkah or you're just opening your advent calendar in anticipation of christmas or you're looking forward to kwanzaa or you've got what was that thing called from seinfeld the pole oh i can't remember Festivus, the Festivus Paul. No matter what you're celebrating, I hope you're enjoying doing it. I hope that you're snuggled up somewhere warm with a big cozy sweater. Or let me just be jealous for a second and imagine you're in Florida in like a t-shirt maybe hitting the beach later today. Uh, I am here in Westchester feeling a little bit chilly feeling a little bit sad because my fireplace requires a very expensive repair that I can't afford right now. So I can't even enjoy snuggling by the fire. Instead, I am snuggling in front of TV shows and uh, and I'm thankful for Netflix and have a beautiful Christmas tree, a beautiful family, counting my blessings even without a fireplace. Uh, The other thing I'm very grateful for are your delicious questions that you've been sending me. Uh, I love filling a mug of cocoa with marshmallows and your little questions as they pop in my inbox feel like scrumptious marshmallows of design fun. So keep them coming, whether you're sending them to our Facebook page or whether you're sending them to Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. One thing I wanted to mention is for all you bonus members out there, if you put bonus member in either the subject line of your email or in the body of your email, I will move your question up to the top of the list because right now, We are 25 questions deep and people continue to send in these amazing questions and I'm trying to get through them as quickly as I can. But if you want your question answered fast, if you want to be a priority on this inbox, 
please become a premium member at BigDesignSmallBudget.com. Not only will you get your question answered first, but you will also get access to our archives of 42 bonus episodes that cover everything from paint to my secret design diaries where I tell you what I'm currently working on, tell you the challenges I'm personally facing with my projects, and um, just get a little bit deeper into my design world. Uh, The other thing about becoming a premium member is it is truly how we sustain this podcast. So if you want to keep us on the airwaves, if you value the work that we're doing here, become a premium member for $5.99 a month. Get access to that monthly bonus episode as well as the archives and get priority when you're sending in these burning questions. Speaking of questions, Lynn Ann has a question that has come in that I cannot wait to answer. Lynn Ann asks, first of all, I can't tell you how much this podcast has helped me. I think I might be challenged in the interior design department, but I have learned some valuable tips from you. My husband and I bought our first home and I am so overwhelmed. I feel like a problem. part of the problem is that I'm only 25. I'm not even sure I've lived long enough to find my style. Is that a thing? To be more specific, although you might hear from me again, I have a question about artwork. My husband got me a bunch of enormous reprints of vintage foreign food ads. So, like a random brand of French butter in a black three-foot-tall frame, for example. I totally understand your rule about mixing types of art. Otherwise, it looks like a gallery. So what am I going to do? I have around 10 of these, and I love them so much. Thank you, Linan. Or I'm sorry, I think it's Leanne. Excuse me. Okay, Leanne, here we go. First of all, if you are 25 and have not found your style, well, that's okay. But the other thing I want to point out is your style can change and develop. My style at 25 was completely committed to all things mod. It needed to have a very graphic geometric pattern for me to respond to it. It needed to be some tone of pumpkin orange or royal blue or, you know, yellow ochre. I really loved that whole mid-century vibe, but I took it one step further and it really had to be the outer limits of the look. Lots of geometric shapes, lots of funky chrome. And while I still respond to that when I'm at a vintage store or looking at things on Cherish, I no longer respond to that in my home. It's not my style anymore. I fully embraced it. I was very singularly focused when I was 25 on only that look. And I find as I've gotten older, not only have my color palettes muted a little bit, I no longer like those bold colors quite as much as my life becomes more stressful. They're also a little bit overwhelming and visually uh, overstimulating. But the other thing I find is that I've lived long enough to appreciate different types of styles. So now I feel less sure that I only want to stay in one vein. I like lots of different things now, whereas before I would really only respond to that style for myself personally. Uh, So be open to letting your style change. In fact, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I moved into my house three years ago and I would say that I have a very different style even now. And if I had the opportunity, and by opportunity I mean win the lottery, 
uh, to, to buy it all again, to reconsider it all again, I certainly would not make the same choices. And I love my choices. I think they're designerly. People walk in and they say, wow, this is lovely. But I used a lot of color. I used a lot of pattern. I think I would do something a little bit more subdued now. Also, the landscape of what's available and what's popular or what's even um, on the retail shelves keeps changing. So even if your style was truly mod or truly only industrial, well, that may no longer be what's actually available at your price point when you're ready to settle in. Don't hesitate to pick a style now. But also don't hesitate to deviate from that style later. This is not a one and done situation. And I feel still that abandoning that previous mod look is a betrayal of maybe the truer part of myself who still responds to that, who just can't live with it. But, um, but I don't think that's the case. I think I truly am evolving. Okay, there we go. Now let's get to your other question. You have these vintage foreign food ads and you have 10 of them and you want to display them. What I think can be really impactful is displaying them as a unit, putting them tightly together rather than dispersing them throughout several rooms in your home, in which case it starts to look like a gallery and starts to look like this is the only thing you're interested in versus a burst of passion where they're all clustered together, right? So I think you should cluster these. I could see if they're three feet high a piece, I could see two rows of five down a really long hallway um, because if you leave six inches of space between them, well, between three and six inches of space, then you're only going to have something that's six and a half feet high and most ceilings are eight feet high. So you'll have a little room to deviate or you know, you don't have to use all of them. You could do two clusters. You could do a row of five down a hallway that's centrally located. And you could do a trio of three in the kitchen. You know that if I'm going to cluster and it's not going to be a geometric, symmetrical pattern, that I prefer to do it in odd numbers. Three, five, seven feels so much more organic than doing two, four, six, which feels more contrived in a cluster. But like I said, if you're doing geometric, feel free to do an even number. Also, I would frame them all similarly. They are the same, and it sounds like they're even the same size, so frame them the same. But um, don't feel obligated to use all 10. You know, you may move to another space where you could do a larger cluster where you might have a larger focus wall. Um, So think of these as, you know, a grouping rather than solo stars for each room. Okay, we have a question from Katie. Katie writes, hello, I recently discovered your podcast in a moment of serendipity, and it is exactly what I have been looking for for years. I have your book ordered and plan to take your classes, but I do have a burning question that I am not sure will be addressed in the class. Hopefully I'm wrong. I'm in the process of buying my first home, which is typically called a tri-level split level. I'm at a loss as to whether I should place the Bagua map over the entire house footprint or individually on each floor. If you are able to answer this, I would be so appreciative. If it is addressed elsewhere, I'm happy to go find it. I am working back through your catalog of amazing podcasts, which are jam-packed with answers to burning questions I have had. Wishing you a fabulous holiday season and best wishes on your expansion to my area, Washington, D.C. Well, 
Thank you, Katie. Yes, we are really starting to get a presence in Washington, D.C. It's been slower going than I imagined. Typically, October, our phones are ringing off the hook. November, we're still managing the spillover from October. And by December, you know, it gets sleepy around mid-month. So I really thought as soon as we launched in D.C. in October, we would be gangbusters. And... It's not that easy to get an instant presence in a town where you used to be completely unavailable. Uh, So we have had to push a lot of marketing dollars. We've had to do a lot of organic SEO work. We've had to really focus podcasts and blog posts on this new passion we have to design other cities besides just the New York City area. Because these principles that we're talking about, they translate to small spaces, they translate to urban spaces, but they just translate in general to people who are looking to spend less money but get a look that feels cohesive and designerly. You do not have to hire a designer, even though Washington, D.C., Hire us, please. Uh, But, you know, everybody should have a look they love. And whether you can take these principles that you learn here or in my classes or in my book and run with them, or whether you need us to help guide you after you have a foundation of knowledge, we would be happy to. So don't hesitate to check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com because even if you're not based in Washington, D.C. or the New York City area, we would love to help you virtually. We have an amazing virtual package for four. where we create the floor plan with you virtually via Zoom. So you're seeing inside our brain. We're collaboratively creating this floor plan together. And then we create a design presentation separately and present it to you during a reveal call one week later. So you have a shopping list, you have mood boards, you have a computer drafted floor plan that you have helped create. And then you go execute this vision as you like. And then you also have follow-up support from your designer. So that virtual package is a great option too at $4.99 if you're looking for help because we haven't yet expanded to other areas. People from Los Angeles, Cincinnati, Chicago have been calling and we're not quite ready. Let us master this expansion to DC first and then we'll branch out. All right, let me get back to your question. Now, I am not a feng shui master. I am not a bagua chart master. I personally dabble. I use it for my own home. And what I do is I overlay the chart on each floor. I have really found that using the bagua chart is a tool of power for me. For instance, my husband was recently underemployed and it was quite stressful. I went to Ikea. I got the biggest money plan I could find. And I overlaid the Bagua chart, put it in our financial wealth area, which also happened to be the dining room, which is really kismet because a dining room is a room of abundance uh, because there's food, because there's, you know, people gathering around a table to enjoy the bounty of your wealth. And so putting a money tree in this area, whether it is the wealth area on your Bagua chart or not, is very symbolic of helping that bounty, that food, which ultimately translates to money, to grow. So I not only had a big money tree in the corner, but I also put a small money tree in the center of the dining table because I'll take all the luck I can get. 
And he just started an amazing new job in TV, which I'm very excited about. Uh, And there you go. Additionally, I bought another big money tree that is sitting behind me in my storefront in Westchester to bring prosperity to my office space. Uh, But like I said, you don't have to use the Bagua chart uh, if it's not serving you or if your dining room doesn't happen to be in your wealth corner, there's other tricks and tools you can use which you can read about in my feng shui class or listen to, excuse me, in my feng shui class that will help you to make any room a wealth center or if you're looking for love, a love center. For instance, when I lived in a studio apartment, I overlaid the bagua chart and my love sector was in my bathroom. That is such a bad sign. And let me tell you that when I was living in that studio apartment, My love life was in the, I'm going to use dumper instead of the S word, Uh, but that was very symbolic. So what I did, because of course you can't reverse the Bagua chart, I'm not going to restructure my entire apartment. That's too expensive and, you know, come on, let's not get crazy. So I did feng shui band-aids, basically. I always put the lid down on my toilet. I hand drew a picture of the partner I wanted to attract. I surrounded that picture with crystals. Of course, when I had guests come over, I hid that picture as well as the crystals because, uh, you know, not everybody's into looking at a stick figure of my future mate. But these are all tools that you can use should that Bagua chart not be serving you or should it be too complicated because a lot of people feel quite intimidated. The Bagua chart is um, sort of a floor plan or an overlay that you can put on a sketch of your home floor by floor or your apartment to kind of see which areas naturally bring about these different kinds of things, be it health or be it, you know, these other kinds of categories in our life. So I hope that helped, but keep in mind, I am not an expert. You may want to get a book on this. You may want to dive more deeply. I myself love to dabble and have found it to be quite rewarding, but uh, not the BL and doll. Maybe my next book, I'll take a deep dive. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and the Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. Okay, my next question comes from Angela. Angela writes, Betsy, you're amazing. I love to watch your design Q&A on Facebook. I was so excited about your baby news. 
Congrats, I hope you are feeling better. I really need your help. I had to renovate a bathroom due to flooding. The bathroom is super small. It's only four feet by seven feet. To be able to stay in the apartment, we needed to make quick decisions. And since I couldn't live without a bathroom, I'm not an expert. Therefore, some decisions were made and created some issues along the way. I have three questions for you. I know that mirrors and medicine cabinets should not be wider than the vanity. However, I found a medicine cabinet that I truly love. It is 30 inches wide, whereas the vanity is only 24. What do you think about it? Okay, so let me answer that first, and then I'll get to your next questions. This mirror is very ornate. It has... Um, a frame that is quite decorative. It's not a Greek key, but it kind of looks like that. And it has this negative space in the framing where there's just these small tiles of mirror and you can see the wall in the back. It's very glam. It's a little over the top in a bathroom, I would say. It's got a lot of look. I would prefer this mirror to be in a hallway or above a sofa or in an entryway because in the bathroom, you're probably going to have a lot of tiles. You're probably going to have a lot of other things that could maybe do more to steal the show. I think that this is a little Liberace in your bathroom, even though I personally love this mirror and I've actually recommended a very similar mirror um, from Z Gallery that um, works well in, say, a bedroom above a dresser or something like that. I just feel like it could be a whole lot of look. That's what I'm going to say. Okay, but if you've already gone for it, I actually don't mind that it's a little bit wider than the vanity itself. You know, I don't tend to go wider, but I don't mind going the same width. And certainly you can go a lot wider and do a medicine cabinet that's the whole wall with a very small vanity. I'm open to that. But going just a little bit wider can sometimes look ill-fitting or top-heavy. In this case, I'm just not a fan of this mirror. It's not the dimensions that I'm worried about. And again, I'm just not a fan of this mirror mirror in this room. I generally really like this mirror, especially if you have a somewhat glam aesthetic. Your second question. Since we didn't use a bath during the renovation, we removed... Oh, okay. Since we didn't use a bath during the renovation, we removed it. The remaining space was only divided into shower and storage. The total width of the opening of the shower is small. Perpendicularly to the shower, there is a 20-inch vanity that is deep by 20 inches and now the issue created i cannot use standard shower doors since it won't open due to the vanity placement for the sliding doors the remaining opening is only 17 inches which is too small to get in the shower also a shower screen will not work since we installed a shower body with jets a large opening will allow the water to splash on all the shower walls throughout the bathroom. I'm thinking of using bifold doors. Custom shower doors are super expensive, so I'd prefer to avoid it. Online, I found a less expensive option. However, the total width of the doors is only 33 inches, which is 0.5 less than the total opening, or 5. Oh, goodness. Um, Betsy, what's your feedback? What should I do? All right, guys. I want you to keep in mind that I don't actually manage renovations. I only consult on them. So these details, these super specific questions regarding dimensions and custom options is something I never think about in my world. If it's not standard, I don't deal with it. And the reason I don't deal with 
renovations um, is because my company is called Affordable Interior Design. Renovations are filled with issues like these, especially in urban markets where spaces are tight and options are few. It sounds like that's what you're facing. I am not the perfect person to ask this question to, and I sure wish I was because I can't be a help. I think that... Well, just in general, I'm just going to put something out there because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately for myself because I'm planning on renovating bathroom in the next five years. So, you know, I'm already, the wheels are already turning. But I don't understand why people are so against shower curtains these days. I love a good shower curtain. Those shower doors with their plastic sealant and the caulking and the I don't know. And I don't love those partial ones that don't open and close because the water does always splash out. Why not just a shower curtain? Because a shower curtain can really, you know, add a new texture, add a new color, give some privacy. Certainly it doesn't look as clean and contemporary as other options, but for me, there's nothing like a good shower curtain. Uh, not saying that that's the solution for your space because it is so narrow, but just saying in general, What's up with the bad rap on shower curtain? Okay, let me get to your next question. Chrome or nickel, what finish is better and can they mix? In a bathroom, I generally prefer chrome, which is the shiny silver, versus a um, satin nickel or brush nickel, which is, oh, I'm sorry, this, this pregnancy indigestion has hit me hard people um so versus that brush nickel or matte nickel or satin finish that is not shiny I do like the shiny I use it for the shower head I use it for the faucet etc but it's really up to you there are a lot of nice matte options and I'm not saying I'm not into it it's just not the way I normally go it's a less conventional look so it's a more specific style that you want to make sure resonates with you also you're going to have less selection in that brushed non-shiny finish than you will in the chrome so that's something to think about too all right, Angie, let me just read your sign off and then I'll move on. You wrote, again, I appreciate your help and congratulations on the baby, Angie. Thank you, Angie. I appreciate that. All right, let's move right along and let's get to my last question today. Okay, this question is from Katie, who I think I wrote, wrote earlier. Well, that's fine. Keep your questions coming, guys. I love to answer questions and if you have a lot of them, I would love to help. All right, Katie writes, Betsy, I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I was wondering a few random things. What do you think about solutions under a high chair? We are in a serious food dropping phase and I'd like to put a rug under the high chair in the dining area. Do you have any ideas how to protect it from constant food drops? Oh my gosh, Katie. Uh, so, you know, pregnancy is such a, a time that's filled with highs and lows, excitement and nervousness. And I have two children, five and seven. Well, now six and seven. She just had a birthday last week. So I know about these spills. I clearly remember these spills. And they gave me such agita because I did not keep a rug under my dining table, which of course is one of my favorite things to do, putting a rug under the dining table, preventing scratches from chair legs, and also clearly defining the area and adding some color to a dining room, which is often in need of that warm type fuzzy texture. Um, and now I'm going to have another one of these little food droppers. Oh, what am I going to do with my rug? 
Ugh, all these things to consider. But um, overall, I'll keep thinking this pregnancy is a blessing. Very excited to start again, but you've reminded me how horrible that food dropping phase was. And speaking of horrible, let me tell you of the horrible solution I got. I think we went on Amazon or we went on Bye Bye Baby and we got one of those plastic clear mats that goes under the high chair and it worked really well. You know, the other thing that I would highly recommend is getting a dog because my dog would eat whatever we didn't scoop up from the plastic mat and that was very helpful. Um, The other thing I would recommend is getting a Roomba if you don't want to get a dog because it's essentially the same thing and you just press a button and you don't have to think about it and it will eat up everything that he or she didn't. But the plastic mat is probably something I will be doing again. Because those purees really sink into the carpet. And at this stage, I'm not going to get rid of my carpet. Even though if somebody had a little one right now and didn't already have a carpet under their dining area, I wouldn't be suggesting that you invest in a rug right now. But to protect mine, I think I will buy a plastic mat. Oh, good. And um, another consideration is to use the floor tiles, F-L-O-R, versus doing a large area rug where if it gets a stain and it's really egregious, you have to throw the whole thing out. With the floor tiles, you can pop out one tile. You can buy extra tiles and keep them in the pantry. That way you can put one in when one gets destroyed. All right, you also asked, any thoughts on Joss and Maine or comparisons of it to other sites? I like the way it's organized and they seem to carry brands that other stores have. So yes, Joss and Maine used to be a flash sales site that I did not like and I did not use because they had a horrible returns policy and because the items were not consistently available. When they sold out, they were gone and too bad, so sad. And if you got one you didn't like, well, you were screwed and good luck trying to return it. So I really hated Joss and Maine for many years. Well, now they have been scooped up by Wayfair. And they're a totally different model. Now they have Wayfair's return policy. Now they offer many of the same things that Wayfair does. It's got a slightly different look, slightly more feminine, I would say. Slightly more transitional or um, there are some trendier pieces, things like that. Fewer basics and more intriguing pieces with character on Joss and Maine than, say, Wayfair. It's not my first place to go. I don't actually love their website um, only because I find Wayfair to be much more easy to search. Lots more filter options. Additionally, um, you know, Wayfair is kind of that all-in-one solution where their little branch off sites like All Modern or Birch Lane only offer certain things. And the other thing to keep in mind is when you're looking on all their different sites, they have different prices. Are you kidding me? It infuriates me, right? If this is the only thing that infuriates me, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm not going to bring up politics right now. But it infuriates me that the price for the same item on Birch Lane is $50 more than the price for the same item that you will find on Wayfair when it is the same company. I just think that is so shady. And it doesn't prevent me from using their site. I use it all the time. But you will find that something on Joss and Maine will also be available on All Modern. And watch those prices because they try and get you and it really boils my butter. Is that a thing? 
All right, you asked another question. Betsy, have you ever dealt with painting over pine paneling? If so, do you have any tips about how to make sure it looks good at the end? You want to prepare your pine paneling and you want to look this up online because while we recommend painting pine paneling, we don't actually do it ourselves and it depends on the type of paneling. Is it faux wood? Is it real wood? What's on it currently? Is there any kind of sheen to it? You know, most likely you're going to need to prime it, but if it's not natural, if it's pressed wood, you're going to have to approach it a different way. I would ask your local hardware store. I would be Googling, YouTubing to get some solutions for this situation. But I think painting it is a great idea because painted paneling can have a nice, you know, more current type shiplap reference and feel a little bit less 80s-tastic. So painting it, I think, is a good direction. Then you signed off. Also, Betsy, thank you for being awesome. I enjoyed your classes and look forward to the book. All the best, Katie. Thank you, Katie. I'm glad. Okay, so guys, it has been such a pleasure talking to you again this week. I can't wait to join you again next week. Until then, I hope you're having an awesome holiday season. I hope you're staying cuddly warm. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, You're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.